words in my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, my friends, this is it. We are only in our ninth month here at the cathedral, but the call has come and the time has come for us to move on to a new assignment and a new chapter. And before uh, I get into the rest of this, I, I did want to thank you all for the love and support and grace and encouragement you have shown to me and to uh, our family over these past nine months. As I mentioned in the, the written announcement that came out last month, um, we came here at a very challenging time for us personally because of uh, my sister's illness and then um, she died almost exactly one month after we started here. And you all uh, were, were kind and generous and gracious and it was a true blessing to us at a time when we really needed that. So thank you. Um, thank you especially to the staff um, and the leadership of this beautiful cathedral community, and especially to, to Troy for becoming such a wonderful friend and a great mentor, and I am I'm truly grateful for you, so thank you. We didn't expect the call uh, to come quite as soon as it did. Nine months wasn't really the plan, but sometimes that's how it happens. The call comes when we least expect it. And as I was thinking about our lessons this week and, and preparing for this sermon, I thought a lot about Abram. And I wondered if maybe that's how Abram heard the call. Because there's this little detail about Abram's life that we never get to read in the lectionary. Abram, uh, and then later Abraham, is often referred to as being from Ur in the land of the Chaldeans. But Abram wasn't the one who started that journey. That honor belongs to Abram's dad, Terach, who most notably, uh, other than beginning this journey from the land of Ur to the land of Canaan, he had three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran, who became the father of Lot. And Terach, his name in Hebrew, is derived from the verb ruach, which means breath or wind or spirit. And so this name Terach means someone who is restless, someone who has a wandering spirit, someone who goes where the wind blows. And after his son Haran died, that's exactly what happened to Terach. He left his home in Ur and said, we're moving to the land of Canaan. And he took with him his son Abram, and Abram's wife Sarai, and his grandson Lot. And the four of them set out to a country that they did not know, but they didn't make it all the way to Canaan. They ended up settling in a place called Haran, which sounds the same in English, but is spelled differently in, in Hebrew, I promise. You'll just have to take my word for that. They ended up in the land of Haran, which is in modern-day Turkey, about halfway to their destination. 
And Terach, who was the wanderer, the one with the restless spirit, settled down there. Why? Maybe he was tired. Maybe he found something there that satisfied him for that season in his life, and he started to build a life for himself. Maybe this was just the end of his part of this journey. Maybe he went as far as he was able to go. We don't know, of course, why Terach settled there, and we don't know whether Abram knew the destination when they left Ur on this fantastic journey. The Bible doesn't tell us if Terach ever told him where they were headed, and this is an important question for us to grapple with because it sets the stage for the generations that follow. Because when we read Abram's story, we know that he becomes a wanderer himself. He lives a nomadic life. His son Isaac continues in that tradition. He lives as a nomad, although he accumulates a great deal of wealth and many servants, he still never settles in a permanent place and lives in tents. Isaac's son Jacob becomes something of a fugitive and spends his life living on the run. He double-crossed one too many people, and so he is an outlaw wandering through the desert. And then Jacob's son Joseph has the best of intentions, but his brothers don't, and so he ends up in Egypt being sold there as a slave. They are all continuing this journey that Tirak started, and none of them ever make it to the land of Canaan and settle down there. None of them ever make it to the final destination, but they all continue the journey, and they all have a part in the story that they are called to play for that season in their life. And to me, I became acutely aware of this idea of the journey and continuing the work of the previous generation because I don't know if you realize this, but All Saints, where we will go in just a couple weeks, was founded by members of this cathedral community 75 years ago. It was a church plant to those people who are living way out on the fringes of the city, (laughs) in the very rural farmland, (laughs) because they needed to hear the gospel out there in the sticks as well. (laughs) So I recognize that I now am taking my part in this legacy and in this journey and continuing the work that our forefathers from this community started 75 years ago. But I think there's more to this story than just my own personal transition because the lesson of the patriarchs is as important for us today as it was for the Hebrews who told these stories around campfires 3,000 years ago. And if I could talk to the young people here for just a moment, there's something really important in this story, I think, for you. Because we are all always in the process of taking what we have learned from those who have gone before us and making that new, doing something different and bold and courageous. And I have great hope for the young people in our midst today. I think that you will make this world a place that is kinder and more compassionate. I think that you will find ways to reduce violence and poverty. 
I have great hope for you. So take what you have seen from us, the things that we've done well, and the places where we've made mistakes, and go and do your best. Take your part in this journey and do better. And that's what Abram did. He set out from the land of Haran, continuing his father's journey. But in his heart was still the heart of Terach, that wandering spirit. And so Abram did what a wanderer does. He crisscrossed the land of Canaan. At one point, he ended up all the way down in Egypt. He overshot it by a long way, going from Turkey to Canaan. He ends up in Egypt, and he has an encounter with the Pharaoh in Egypt, and he lies about his relationship with his wife because he's afraid that the Pharaoh is going to see how beautiful Sarai is and say, well, if I just kill this guy, (laughs) I can make Sarai my wife. And so there's all of these things that happens, and finally, we find Abram, 86 years old now, in the land of Canaan, living in a tent, still with no heir, when he makes perhaps the biggest decision of his life, that he is tired of waiting on the promise that God spoke to him that we read this morning. And he is going to have an heir with his wife's handmaid. And so Ishmael is born in Genesis chapter 16 and in Genesis chapter 17, right after the birth of Ishmael, God speaks to Abram again. God repeats the promise that we read this morning. You will be the father of many nations, and through you all people will be blessed. But this time God adds something new. From now on, you're not going to do it your own way. You're going to do it with me. We're going to do this together. And this is the sign of the covenant I will make with you. From now on, you're not going to be Abram anymore. From now on, your name is going to be Abraham. Because Abram had tried for so long to do things on his own, the best way he could, without any help, without any intervention, without consulting with God, to see what God's plans were for his life. And God shows up at the moment when Abram has exhausted all of the things that he can do in his own power and strength and says, enough. It's time for you to do this differently. And it's time for you to do this with me. And Abram was always the son of Terach the Wanderer. When you read the rest of Abraham's life, he doesn't get it perfectly right. In fact, he lies to another king about his relationship with his wife because old, less, old habits are hard to break sometimes. But from that moment forward, he learns to trust God. And it's a process that takes the rest of his life. But the shift that happens in that moment is the covenant. It's the relationship. It's the recognition that you don't have to do this on your own. It's the invitation to take what is in there, the experiences, the things that you have learned from the previous generation, the things that you have known, the things that you fear, and to turn that over. And to allow the Spirit to work in you. And to start again. And I think that this is the same invitation that Jesus gives to Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus was not a wanderer like Abram. In fact, he was laser-focused. 
He had gone to the best schools. He had had all the right teachers. He had climbed the ranks as a Pharisee of distinction and had been made a member of the Sanhedrin. This was a small group of the best of the best Pharisees, and they sat as judges, and their court was in the temple, and they ruled over the people in legal matters and legal disputes. They were something like the supreme court of their day. And this is who Nicodemus is. But in some way, despite his success, he is still like Abram. Because he is to the point in his life where he has gotten as far as he can on his own. And he is now sitting at the top of the ladder, looking around and asking himself, is this all there is? Is this all that there is? And he hears some stories about a man named Jesus, this itinerant preacher who is able to do miraculous things that no one can explain. And Nicodemus, from his perch on the top of society, says there's something about this guy that I have to understand for myself. So he makes an appointment to see Jesus at night, and his heart in him is restless because he has to know if he's wasted his life getting to the top of this ladder. And Jesus sees him and recognizes his heart immediately. And he cuts through all the wondering and gives him one of the most confusing answers, I think, in all of Scripture. Nicodemus, you must be born from above. For 2,000 years, we have discussed and debated and sometimes co-opted what this expression means, and we have arrived at very different conclusions. But think about Jesus meeting a person who has laid his heart on the line because he has gone to the top of the mountain and he has surveyed the landscape and asked himself, is this all that there is? And so Jesus offers to, to Nicodemus in that moment the same offer that God extended to Abram generations before. It's not too late to start again. This time, in relationship, not in rules. And I think this imagery of relationship is vital to this Nicodemus story because the image of pregnancy and childbirth, it's central to what Jesus talks about. And Nicodemus thinks that Jesus is telling him he has to go back all the way to the beginning, to the point when he was a baby and redo his whole life. But what if Jesus is talking about that state of total dependence, that state of not being able to do anything on your own, just as helpless, being as helpless as a little baby. Learning to trust God to do the work in us of being reborn by water and spirit, to take what's inside of us and to transform it, not to go back to the beginning and start over, but from where you are to start again and to do things differently and to do them the right way. Because the eternal life that Nicodemus is seeking starts with a choice. Will you trust the slow work of God to do the impossible in you? To call into existence those things deep inside of you that you don't even know are there. To take what you've been through and what you've learned and to make you a new creation. As Paul reminds us, if we rely only on the things that we can do on our own strength, that's not faith. 
And that's not a relationship. What we need is God working in us and through us. And this is the work of a God who Abram could not see or understand, but who walked with Abraham patiently until the end of his life, making him a new creation day by day. So friends, our call is not to a destination. Our call is to a journey and to a relationship. Our call is to live in relationship every day and to make a choice to stay connected. And I think St. Benedict probably said it best with a slight paraphrase from me. Every day, we begin again. Every day, we have a choice to make, to start from where we are now in the story, to take what is in us, all of the good and all of the bad, all of the experiences, all of the education and the lessons. And yes, even those things that we have learned from, the, from those who have gone before us. And allowing the Spirit to transform us day by day into the person that God is calling us to be. It's not quick work. It took Abraham his entire life to learn to fully trust God. And it took Nicodemus, that timid Pharisee, who is curious and, and restless until the moment after Jesus' crucifixion to be counted among Jesus' followers publicly. But that's faith. It's, the destina- it's not the destination. It's determination. It's the process. It's the journey. It's choosing every day to begin again, doing a little bit better, going a little bit further, getting a little bit closer, and giving ourselves over to the work of the Spirit within us. So even though I won't be here with you week in and week out to continue this journey that we're all on, I am glad that we have journeyed together for these past nine months. And our journey continues now. Onward. Onward.